Lord, we just uh, invite you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Come into this church this morning, Lord. Visit us in the way that you know how, Lord, in any way that you want to, God. We, we just yield to you. We surrender to you. We ask you to speak. Speak loud and clear, Lord. Give us ears to hear. God, what you're trying to speak to us, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Has anybody ever had an encounter with God? That's easy, right? It might seem like a stupid question. I hope so. Um, but you know, one thing that I realized from... Uh, the class that I teach at Mooresville Christian is that there's a lot of uh, 15, 16, 17 year olds there that have a lot of information. They know a lot sometimes of things about God or about the Bible, but they don't all. They haven't always had an encounter with God. You understand what I mean by that? Um, you know, when I was 19 years old, I finally came just by the mercy of God. Finally, the Lord, it dawned on me, you know, that how much of a sinner I really was. How much of a, in a desperate need of God I, I am. And uh, I only came to that point because the Lord allowed me, I'll, I'll say it that way, I, I came to a point of almost literally going insane or kind of an emotional and mental breakdown, I guess you might say. And uh, that might be the psych psychiatric name for it. And uh, in my desperation... I was like, God, if you're real, you got to help me out here. And you know what? He, he took me at my word. He helped me out. And uh, as we were worshiping this morning, just proclaiming our love for Him, that experience just really came back to me. You know, you ever have those moments when it's like, do you remember? <laughs> Hello, do you remember what I've done? Do you remember what I've spoken? Um... I opened up the Bible one night, hadn't been able to sleep for one week solid. And the Lord spoke to me. And I realized right then, that's what an encounter with God is. It's when God speaks, it can change everything. But, what's the key? You have to listen. God's speaking all the time. If we're not listening, what good does it do? Right? Right? That's why it repeatedly says over and over, Jesus is like, if you have ears, he that has ears, let him hear. He that has ears, let him hear. He that has ears, let him hear. Okay, what do you mean, Jesus? We all got ears. Can't you see that? He must be meaning something else. He's saying, I'm speaking to you. Are you listening? And uh, this morning, I just want to talk briefly about the importance of being able to hear God's voice, not only for yourself, but for those, of, for those around you. And uh, I want to read this quote by a pastor in our country today. He said that any time the people of God become preoccupied with concepts and ideologies, instead of a Christ-like expression of life and power, they are set up to fail, no matter how good those ideas are. Christianity is not just a good philosophy. It's a relationship. 
Christianity is not just a philosophy. There's a lot of great world ideas out there and philosophies. It's a relationship. It's the God encounter that makes the concepts powerful. We must require of ourselves. We must require this of ourselves. How? We must seek until we find. So I'm just asking God this morning that you would encounter God. I'm asking Him that I would encounter Him. I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know in what way it's going to happen. I don't know if this in this scattered room here this morning, if you know lightning bolts are going to shoot or you know people are going to fall down or whatever. I don't know. That's not really what I want to go after. But I want to go after hearing God's voice. Because when you hear God's voice, things can change. Isn't that right? And that's what Jim is experiencing right now. Is that he has just kind of fumbled through hearing God's voice over years. Things are happening and coming to pass. A long time ago, there was a young man who was about 15 years old. And... uh, He had a horrific experience, I would say, that tremendously changed his life. Similar to the story of Joseph that I uh, was talking about, I think back in December, um, I was talking about how the power of the presence in Joseph's life life made such a big difference. I don't know if you remember that. But um, similar to Joseph, this guy had an encounter with Jehovah, with Yahweh, that tremendously made an impact upon the place that he was at. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background, like I said, he was a teenager, which uh, speaks volumes to me, um, being around teenagers a lot as I am. uh, I can see how difficult it is sometimes to be a young person and be surrounded by a, a society and a culture and all these things that are so contrary to what God may be wanting to do in us. Um, this guy was actually an upper class teenager. He was a part of a wealthy family, probably in the, the nobility in his nation. He was a Jewish guy in Israel. And uh, his nation th- had gone through a tumultuous period and uh, actually had split in, into two kind of distinct kingdoms. And uh, he was a part in the southern kingdom in the city of Jerusalem that, that uh, Jim was just showing us pictures of, actually. And uh, at one point in his teenage years, apparently, um, a foreign king and armies came and invaded their city. And uh, they took away a lot of the riches and stuff that Solomon, King Solomon, had acquired and carried it off to another place. It's actually carried it off to what is today modern-day Iraq, ironically enough and uh, carried to a city there that this king was building that's close to the present-day Baghdad, Iraq. It's not the exact location. It's a little south of that, 30 miles south or so, I believe. And uh, as well as a lot of the, the riches of Jerusalem, he also took captives. He took some slaves, actually, and kind of forced them into uh, helping them out. And... This young man was one of those captives that he took. And uh, if you can imagine just for a moment, kind of put yourself in his shoes. Here he was, part of, a, uh, am sure, a great family, close to his parents, his siblings, and all of a sudden a foreign army comes in and says, you, come with me. And he has to walk away. 
He's taken to a foreign place surrounded by people that he doesn't know, an environment that's completely foreign to him. He doesn't speak the language. And they say, okay, your name is no longer Venus, but it's, you know, some other, like an Iraqi name or something, if if that was the the situation. He was renamed, in other words, stripped of his identity. And he was sent to a three-year re-education class. You know, the other, the other name for re-education classes in um, some of the communist countries would be death camps or something like that. It may not have been quite as uh, physically strenuous and so labor-intensive as some of the uh, you know, Soviet death camps as we've heard about, but it was nonetheless a place where the goal was to brainwash was to re-educate these people that were brought, these Jewish people, into another way of life. Not only that, but um, he may have been, we don't know this for sure, but he may have been physically um, abused as well. Uh, He was taken into the chamber of the king's eunuchs, so therefore he may have been castrated and uh, made a eunuch himself, which... I could imagine would be quite traumatic. Uh, and so here he was in this foreign land, mentally and psychologically being just tormented and abused, physically possibly being abused, and they were just trying to do everything they could to strip them of their Jewish heritage. He was forced to ask to eat um, meat and things that were not according to his Jewish tradition. And so he was put in a really tough situation. And of course, you know, um, or if you don't know, this is Daniel, uh, one of the prophets, who was a contemporary, by the way, of the prophet Ezekiel that Jim was referring to there. And uh, if you'll turn to me, turn to me, turn with me, rather, uh, to Daniel chapter 1. And uh, I just want to look at a few principles here. And uh, then we're going to take, you know, remember the Lord through communion see what else he wants to say to us. So, just want to read a few verses here. Um, starting in verse 1, it was the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon declared war on Jerusalem and besieged the city. And so, just as I've told you, all these things take place. And if you skip down to verse 6, four young men from Judah... Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belteshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. Azariah was named Abednego. And verse six, I'm sorry, verse eight. But Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. Now take notice of this. It says Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. It's difficult to be in a surrounding where everything is telling you to do one thing, but God's asking you to make a choice to do the opposite. Has anybody ever had that experience? Again, you see that typically with young people, with teenagers all the time. As I look at these 15 and 16 and 17 year old students that I teach, 
and put myself back in their shoes and remember you know, what it was like for me to be that age, it's not an easy choice to make, no matter how much internally you want to follow God, to make the choice to go against the coolness of the day, right? Does anybody remember that? It's not easy, right? You've got all these peers. You want to be accepted. You want to have fun. You know, all, that, uh, all the Christian stuff just looks like kind of a cramp to your style, so to speak, or what you want to do. But Daniel was a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old, somewhere in there, who made a choice. You know what? I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to keep my way pure. I'm go- in other words, I'm going to walk with integrity. And I feel like in the day that we live in, it's important that we constantly keep in mind the importance of personal integrity. Integrity is an important thing. Kind of the religious term that we use is holiness. Holiness is not something to be taken lightly. And Daniel understood that. But what, we're gonna, what we learn from the life of Daniel is that he had an incredibly prophetic voice to um, the people around him, to the nation, and eventually, if you know are familiar with the whole book, to the entire world, even, even up to this day. Because some of the secrets that God revealed to him about history up to that point and the history that would be carried out even until the end, some of the secrets God revealed to Daniel are still even yet to come. But one thing that I want us to keep in mind is one of the keys to prophetic insight is the value of personal holiness. Now sometimes when we read like the book of James or other letters and passages in the New Testament, individuals get the idea that if you follow this whole list of things to do, right, if you do this right, you do this right, you do this right, then you'll be in good with God, right? And that's what kind of the Christian life is. It's how many good works can you do in order to add up your account with God. Of course, if you've studied the Bible much, you've been in church, you know that's really not what God intends here. Personal holiness is a gift that He'll give you if you ask for it and ask Him to give you the ability to make the right choices. Okay, so I wanted to emphasize that part of it. Because sometimes you say, oh, I'm just going to be righteous. I'm just going to do the right thing. And you get into striving in your own strength. When God's saying, yeah, that's right. I do want you to do the right thing. But it's not in your own self-effort. Ask me. And I'll give you the ability, like I did with Daniel, to do the right thing. Because I have to believe that it was not Daniel's own personal strength that gave him the ability to choose not to be defiled. Do you think so? Maybe he's just a really strong guy. You know, he could just say no. You know, a lot better than anybody else could. Well, maybe, but I don't think so. I think it was a supernatural experience that God came in and He gave Daniel that ability. Why? Because he had been chosen by God as a remnant. He's chosen us. He's chosen you to keep you. Okay, so be encouraged if you're struggling this morning that it's God who has the power to keep you. It's God who has the power to transform your life. 1 John 2.15 reminds us 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, sometimes called the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God, who walks with integrity, does what? Lives forever. It's hard not to be conformed to the world's patterns, isn't it? I mean, if everybody was to be honest in this room, it's hard. It's hard not to lust after some of the things that the world has. But Daniel proves to us that God can give us the supernatural ability and is giving us that right now, even today, if we'll ask Him, if we'll choose that. On in the story, it says in verse 8, I'm sorry, in verse 10, The king asked them to eat this food. But Daniel chose, as I said, not to defile himself in this way and to uh, opt out of it. He appealed to the king's steward who said, all right, I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you eat your vegetables and water, your, ve- your vegan diet, for uh, ten days. And if after that ten days you're looking okay then I'll let you go with it because I don't want to get in trouble with the king by not feeding you what he ordered for you to eat. And uh, it says in verse 14, the steward agreed to do it and fed them vegetables and water for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked better and more robust than all the others who had been eating from the royal menu. So the steward continued to exempt them from the royal menu of food and drink and serve them only vegetables. All right, in verse 17, then it says, God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in both books and life. In addition, Daniel was gifted in understanding all sorts of visions and dreams. At the end of the time set by the king for their training, the head of the royal staff brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. When the king interviewed them, he found them far superior to all the other young men. None were a match for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them on anything, on books or on life, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom put together. Daniel continued in the king's service. So it says in verse 17 that to these four young men, God gave them knowledge and understanding. Everybody say, God gave. God gave. It wasn't something that they earned or they studied real hard. Yes, they probably did those things, but God gave them a supernatural ability to comprehend even the Babylonian books of literature that they were being kind of uh, indoctrinated in. He gave them the ability. Why? Because He wanted to use them to reveal His secrets even to the pagan Babylonians. He gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds. In every matter of wisdom, it says in verse 20, and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You know, we see worldly wisdom was given to Moses as a second in command of Pharaoh. It was given to Joseph and here to Daniel and to others in Scripture. Um, so... You know, don't discount 
the importance of knowing how to do business, for example. Worldly wisdom could be an example of that. Or don't underestimate the importance of maybe running for political office or being involved in government and politics. Don't underestimate uh, becoming a lawyer or, you know, a scientist or a doctor. I think the, the 2006, as Dutch Sheets has said, is a year in which I'll release an abundance of creativity, says the Lord, according to what Dutch was hearing from the Lord. God wants to reveal His secrets to us in this year. Dutch goes on to say, I heard him say, the secrets of heaven are coming to earth. Some of it will be so revelatory that even creative ideas on how to transform whole regions of the world will be released. Whole regions of the world can be impacted. We see the church being involved in, in um, Africa, for example, to provide fresh drinking water for places there and, and medical care for AIDS patients. And his heart's been involved in providing... Um, fresh water for people who are drinking water laced with arsenic. Okay, these sorts of things, in order to get the arsenic out of water, you have to know something about science, right? Well, who figured that out? So God gave somebody the ability to figure out how to do that, and to this day, people in the mountains of Argentina are able to get fresh water because of that. So the point is this is that creative ideas in science and math, in the arts or whatever, God wants to release in order to make a physical impact in order that a spiritual impact may result. Listen for the secrets. He wants to reveal them this year, I believe. God knew that He could trust Daniel with His wisdom because Daniel chose to fear the Lord. At Mooresville Christian Academy, our theme verse is a verse found in Proverbs 9. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, if we really want to understand history and science and math and foreign languages and these things that we're trying to instruct and impart to kids, the first thing is, is learning the fear of the Lord. What it means to walk in His ways. And it also says in verse 17, and I'm going to wrap up with this, that Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Of all kinds. People could come to him. He had this ability. Now what is that? Well, in the church we would commonly call it, call it probably the gift of prophecy. What does that mean? That sounds kind of like a religious term. Well, it just simply means the ability to hear God and convey that message to other people. How many people would like prophetic insight? That's good. I'm glad you want it because the Bible says that we should want it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire, pursue, or even lust after spiritual gifts. But then it adds, especially the gift of what? of prophecy. Why? So that you can stand up here one day and pick somebody out of the crowd and read their mail? Well, maybe, but not necessarily. So that you can understand the secrets of heaven in order that they might be revealed in the earth and change things. Just like that. 
God wants to do that in us. God wants to do it in you. I really believe that. So where are we being hung up? Okay, well maybe we haven't asked. <laughs> Just a thought. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe we haven't asked in the, in, in the regard of, Lord, here I am. I ask you, please reveal your secrets to me. And then, taking the time to listen. Write them down. Lord, I want to start a business. God, I want to be used in medicine. Lord, I want to be used in the courtroom. I want to be used in politics. What is on your heart, Lord? What do you want to reveal in those areas? Use me as a Daniel that can impact those around me, can impact this nation, this, this city, this town, and even the generations to come. I don't believe that it's a stretch of the imagination that those things can happen through the power of God as He transforms us. But, in conclusion, God is looking for those who will place their lives on the altar. There's no easy way around that. There's no sugar-coated way of, of preaching that. And I just want to put out there this morning that if you're here and you've never really encountered God, you've never really heard God speak to you, I just want to ask you a question. Have you surrendered all? Have you given Him everything? It's kind of a paradox. Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll gain it. What does that mean, Jesus? <laughs> he that has ears, let him hear. That's what it comes down to. If you'll give it up, if you'll give up everything, He'll give you everything. That's a hard thing to do, it, do isn't it? Especially for a 15-year-old. <laughs> That's a difficult thing to say to a 15-year-old. They don't want to do that. I didn't. I, I, I can't believe that the Lord just blitzed me the way He did to, to soften my hard heart. Because I had sat under anointed preaching my entire life from the time I was born. But my heart was rebellious and cold and I didn't want to have anything to do with it because it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't exciting. Until the Lord just miraculously opened my eyes. Oh, that's what it means. That's what it's all about. And in a sense, I think that God wants to do that for us continually. Does your heart ever become a little bit callous? Soften my heart, Lord. I repent, God. I, today, freshly, I lay it down before you. Here's my life. I put it on the altar. Do what you will with it. And you know what? That's what happened with Daniel. And as a result, he saw some incredible things. The king came to the magicians and the fortune tellers, which included Daniel. He was grouped in with them and said, Guys, I've had a dream. I need an interpretation from your magic. And they're like, Okay, Lord, well, what's the dream? He's like, Ah, that's, I know what you're trying to do to me. If I tell you the dream, you're going to make something up, an interpretation up, and then I won't know whether it's true or not. So I tell you what, I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. You tell me what the dream is and give me the interpretation. And they're like, King, that's impossible. We can't do that. Nobody can know what the dream was. And he's like, all right, off with your heads. You're all dying. They're like, oh. So this edict goes out. Daniel wasn't in that meeting. He missed the memo. But he gets a telegram and says, FYI, execution for all the king's fortune tellers tomorrow at noon. He's like, oh great, sends a message back. Hey, tell the king, give me a couple hours and I'll have it for him. 
Can you imagine the pressure? Okay, you have to get not only the interpretation of this guy's dream, but what the actual dream was. He won't tell you. Or you and this whole group of people are going to die. He humbled himself, went to the Lord, and God revealed the secret. And he was able to save everyone's lives, including his own, because he walked in integrity and he was bold enough to believe that God could reveal secrets to him. And he did. And then the story goes on and on. I'm not going to go through all those things, but you know, then his buddies get thrown into the fiery furnace. Oh, there's a great time. <laughs> you know, seven times hotter. The Lord comes in or an angel comes in and miraculously saves them. You talk about a faith booster, right? The reality is sometimes our prophetic insight can get hampered by the experiences that we've had. For example, God, I thought I heard you when you told me to go here. You go there and it seems to be a closed door. Ooh, I must have not heard God. Lord, I thought you told me to talk to that person, but when I talked to them, they were cold. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. Oh, I must have missed God. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes the emotional trauma of stepping out there and trying to hear God but then feeling like you missed it can so hinder your desire for the prophetic that you no longer go after it. But I just want to ask you and encourage you this morning to keep going after the heart of God. Keep going after the prophetic. Because I believe it's a really critical hour. That's why I was so impacted by this, this prophetic word by Dutch Sheets back in the beginning of the year. Because I, there's something in my spirit that said, Matthew, listen to the prophetic voice. Listen to the prophetic voice. What Jim was sharing this morning, listen to the prophetic voice. What is God doing in Israel? How does that, what does that have to do with me? You know, God can use us in that way. So as, we, um, as you come up to receive uh, communion this morning, and we just take this moment to... To, as Jesus said, remember Him, remember His sacrifice. Because after all, you know, you talk about prophecy and being able to hear God. It was Jesus' sacrifice that gave us all the ability to do that. Isn't that right? He rent the veil so that we can boldly enter in to the Holy of Holies, come before uh, the throne room of God. And... Uh, I just want to, you know, see what the Lord wants to do this morning. As you come up here, you take communion. Um, Byron and Becky and some other people will be over here. I'll be over here in the corner. And if you'd like, i just say this. If you want to encounter God this morning, we'd like to pray for you. We'd just like to boldly ask that God would touch you this morning. Okay? Maybe you need to encounter God through being healed. Okay, maybe you're sick this morning. If that's you, come forward as well and encounter God in that way. Maybe you're, when I was talking about prophecy and receiving messages from God, maybe you like to say, I'm just asking God that I would have a more clear ability to do that. Come up and ask the Lord to impart that to you this morning. Okay, so, Buzz, did you want to share? Um, while we were worshiping, the Lord dropped something in Buzz's spirit that he wanted to uh, throw out there as well. Just wanted to give an opportunity for the Lord to do that. 
if it um, is you this morning.